Cryptology Files. Seattle. And I said I wouldn't sing anymore on the podcast. And it's technically nighttime. There's wine at this podcast. There's wine. It's night. It's what we originally planned to do <laughs> from the get-go. <laughs> then it turned into the morning show. The morning show. And then, but we're in fucking Seattle. Oh, I brought you gifts, both of you. Oh. So it's the Pacific Northwest. Right. And everything is fucking Bigfoot here. <laughs> here are your Bigfoot mints. <laughs> what? Archie McPhee. Yeah. They had like a whole collection of whoever Archie McPhee is stuff at this little shop I went to. That is incredible. I bought a Bigfoot air freshener for myself. <laughs> Tonight at the live podcast, I'll be wearing my Sasquatch scarf. Ooh. It's kind of amazing here. The I found a haunted coffee shop. Yes. I am wearing their merch right now. It's Ghost <laughs> Alley Espresso. And some of the drinks are amazing. I got the Lydia, which I'm assuming Ooh. they named after Beetlejuice Lydia. Oh, we'll because go with it's that. It's kind of quirky. Yeah. Um, and it was chamomile tea mixed with espresso shots and and white chocolate, and it was fucking amazing. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It's right next to Gum Alley. If you're in Seattle, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the actual, it used to be a restroom, she told me, and it's totally haunted. I need to scroll back on their Instagram, but she said they caught an EVP there. They set out a special table outside of the actual uh, coffee shop specifically for a ghost every day. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's nice. And it's I like when you give ghost cigarettes. Yes, it exactly. Works. Always in the jails, because you know they're Jonesing. Speaking of, <gasps> I'm so excited for our investigation. Oh, like what? Four my days. My God, four days. Uh, I, I, we, I've been done a really good job keeping this one a secret. I know. I think we all have because like snuck up on us. It did, but it was also a like spur of the moment decision because we've it always was. been. I'm not gonna say scared to go, but just like definitely dragging our feet. Yeah, and and I've got mixed feelings about this location. Agreed. And I'm excited to go in and do what we do, how yes, we do it, because exactly. I feel like that's that's just how we find evidence. If exactly. we're going to find some, that's how we do it. Yeah. And it's going to be amazing. It, it always is. It always is. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on in the paranormal world. I don't want to call it paranormal in the news, but they announced this week that Grant Wilson's got a new show coming yeah. out on A&E called Ghost Hunters. Yes. They have access to the full library of every Ghost Hunters TV episode ever. Hundreds. Yes. I'm so excited. Grant is an amazing human being. Um, he's actually part of the reason why I have mixed feelings about this location we're going to. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think it's August is when it is when coming it out on A&E. Also, um, last night I was trying to fall asleep, didn't do a really good job of it um, because we were flying out this morning, but holy shit, our little exclusive Facebook group is on fire right now. Really? People are posting all this fun stuff all the time. It's a total blast. So check it out. It's on Facebook. Just search Oddity Files Fan Group 
and we're there. It's it's become a community. Yeah, it's a lot of fun too. We share some some insider information there and it's not it's nothing that's that's confidential. It's just, yeah. you know, it's a little sneak peek for those of the of our like devoted listeners. Exactly. Sometimes we'll like, post merch there first yeah. before we post it anywhere else. It's not like we ever turn anyone down that asks to join. We accept everyone, but Absolutely it's just like everybody. our our little our little group. Yeah. And with that, also follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, really all the socials were at Oddity Files. We make it simple. We yeah, unlike me. <laughs> Kitsy hates me for it. I should just switch one or the other. I, you really should. Well, I accidentally tagged at Clayton Abbott on Instagram once. Is it a he, person? It's a person. He was not happy. Really? Yeah. He's kind of a douche. No way. Yes. Hold on. <laughs> He's like, um, I think you have the wrong Clayton. I'd say, um, you're the wrong Clayton. <laughs> Doesn't he know who you are? I'm just saying. Oh, also, while you're looking up that guy... So he has 39 followers. Get over it. Oh, I think you should sue him for the name. Um, <laughs> buy it from him. I'll give you $39. <laughs> yeah. A dollar a follower. And he got shitty. Are you kidding me? He probably could have got followers from that hat. I left it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, so I don't know if either of you two have ever watched the girls next door. Um, it was like an E channel thing it was all the girls that lived with Hugh Hefner in the Playboy Playboy Mansion I watched every single episode I adore all of the girls but Holly Madison from the girls next door she was um Hef's number one girlfriend she is allegedly dating Zach Baggins right now oh and I'm stupid excited about this and I, I it's like my two worlds collided, and I think it's pretty fucking awesome. So I hope it's real. TMZ reported it this week. Um, but if they are, I hope they live happily ever after. Because she used to date Chris Angel, and I feel oh, like this she's is... she's all into the she's supernatural boys. Yeah. Well, except for Hugh. Right. Because Hugh doesn't really fall into that. <laughs> maybe he had... I, I mean, the Playboy Mansion's crazy haunted. Legitimately. So maybe she was. Maybe yeah. she used him to get into the Playboy Mansion. Oh, it was all it was all a ruse. Speaking of uh, Zach Bagan, so DJ Jimmy and I will be in Vegas in two weeks. Ah! I cannot wait to go check it out. Another thing happened at the Haunted Museum this week. Really? Yeah, like there's an orb that flies through, touches a lady, and she passes out right there. I'm just, okay. Well, well, whatever. I mean, you know how I feel about dust orbs. Not some just how leaving most it. How do feel about it? <laughs> People get so excited. So excited that they pass out. I don't know. Whatever. Um, I have a quick paranormal in the news. Do you want to hear it? Yes. Pretty much I'm just going to give you the headline and then touch on it. So a woman who married a 300-year-old pirate ghost reveals they're splitting up. Oh, devastating. <laughs> you know, we've got you know Zach and Holly getting together, and then we've got... This chick divorcing her pirate husband. It's not working out for her. Not at all. People reports that Amanda Teague, an Irish woman, and Jack Sparrow impersonator held a ceremony. <laughs> the look at Clayton's face. Of course, later. I took a drink of wine right when you said that. <laughs> you don't think she did this for publicity, not do at you? All. No, not at all. Um, she held a ceremony to well, wed a 300-year-old pirate ghost, also named Jack, in 2018. 
Um, yes, less than a year later, Amanda is saying the marriage is over. Oh, no. So I feel it's time to let everyone know that my marriage is over. The mom of five <laughs> wrote on her Facebook page, according to the Irish Mirror. I will explain an all-due course, but for now, all I want to say is be very careful when dabbling in spirituality. It's not something to mess with. It's also not something to marry. So alleged, apparently she had somebody <clears throat> marry her on the waters of the sea of the ocean. I don't know specifically which one, because you guys don't want to hear the, the waters whole of the story. seas of the ocean. Yes. That's the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the haunted waters of the sea of the ocean. Yes. Um, so she had a somebody perform the ceremony out there. There was a psychic medium there to, I guess, tell her what her husband was saying, fiance, what to say. I don't know. And then apparently, you know, once it came to bedroom activities, it got weird and he wanted to possess her. And Shocker. Yeah. This this is me raising my hand calling bullshit. <laughs> it's all publicity. <laughs> I mean, for reals, people. Come on. So tonight, and I'm we're actually recording this Thursday, and it'll go up on Friday, but Friday the 28th Eight. is our live podcast at Ace Comic Con. Here in Seattle. I am so excited. Me too. I am so Freaking excited. We should have gone to find the stage. It's, it's in our vicinity. Yeah, it's close. Yeah, for sure. And so many people we know are going to be there. I'm I know. so stoked. They better be like right up front. Yeah, I want hoots and hollers. <laughs> and Everyone no. sit together so it looks more full. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need a new um, a picture of us on the stage with everybody uh, in the do. background. So yes. be prepared. And also, if you're planning on being there, if you have a personal paranormal story whether it's big feats or aliens or hauntings come well, prepared yes because hopefully we'll have time to do that bring some index cards <laughs> no <Letta>. no reading <laughs> just have it memorized i will say um i was listening to our our live last live podcast yes i talk really fast when we're on stage really so that's how i know there's gonna be time tomorrow for that ghost story <laughs> uh. oh what are you gonna do we talked about how they can follow us we want speaking of stories if you're not going to be at ace we want your stories mm -hmm. like i said anything paranormal otherworldly sasquatchy cryptid um send it to oddity files crew at gmail also check out our website we've got some merch we've got all kinds of good stuff there it's oddityfiles.com and i think i we don't have our checklist board to look at because right. we're in your hotel room so um, i don't know what we're forgetting what are we forgetting clean the yard <laughs> it's done yes now it just says edit season three but now i have to put continue editing season three because i officially started it Ooh. well i sent you that picture that we won't talk about yes. um but I'm, I'm starting on our octagon hall investigation and I oh, forgot I, about your experience in the basement there. The one that like overwhelmed me to yes. the point that I just needed to you take a break. You were so fucked up after that. I was. And we can't give away too many no. spoilers. Something happened to put it like very vaguely. I just had an experience where I was very just like, we were 
pretty comfortable. Like, yeah. Nothing was happening. Totally. And it went from zero to hundred very quickly for me. Yeah. Um, and it kind of just like shook me up. No. Yeah. Totally. You're like, I, I'm like, what? You're like, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't know. I don't like it. And I'm like, just tell me what happened. But I can't wait for you guys to that see this That was the stuff. first time I hit a tree with a drone, but it was fine. I can't find the drone footage, by the way. Oh, no. Maybe it's in the next Maybe. thing. But so. I just remember I was like, do, 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 do. And then I see leaves going over. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I have no clue who goes first. I do not either. Casey, you do. Oh, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> so I, I didn't tell Clayton a whole lot about my story, but I just said it, it was very timely. So it's tornado season, people. I don't know if you know this or not. Y'all were on a cruise while we were dealing with tornadoes here in the Midwest. Every time Jimmy leaves town, we get another goddamn tornado (laughs) because he's never seen one. (laughs) But I am here to tell you about the Joplin, Missouri butterfly people. Okay. Here it is. It's tornado season. And recently we've had our fair share of tornadoes here in Indiana. I figured this insane story was pretty topical. And I'm usually a glasses half full and everything happens for a reason. And we all know my belief in spirit guides. So this story is along those lines. This is probably the least creepy story I've had yet. So just wait for Clayton's if you want the creepy. This is kind of actually a beautiful story. Um. I personally have been terrified of tornadoes my entire life. I, I've lived in Illinois, Nebraska, and Indiana my entire life. And, I mean, you get down in the basement, and you sit down there, and then the movie Twister came out, and believe it or not, it actually made everything all better for me. Really? Yes. Why? Because, like, you saw that people could live through them? I. Yes. That's not like a joke. But no, like, literally. Yeah. Like when the two are holding on to the that thing and, and yeah. they lift. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so it doesn't kill everybody. Like I need to realize that not every car crash ends in death. Right. That's just my anxiety. You know, it's always death on the other end of things. Anyway. So on May 22nd, 2011, the town of Joplin, Missouri was devastated by the activity of a catastrophic, catastrophic EF. I put EF percentage. What's that, a five? five. It was an EF5 rated multiple vortex tornado. At one point, this monstrosity measured over a mile across. That's absolutely insane. I remember when it happened. Unreal. Terrifying. It brought with it winds clocking at over 200 miles an hour, and it would end up causing $2.8 billion worth of damage and sadly killing 161 people. Now I'm scared of them again. No, you're not. That it's number okay. just terrified That's me. That's rare. It's very rare. I know. And injuring thousands more. It is to this day the seventh deadliest tornado in U.S. history. The aftermath was like something out of a horror movie. But during the destruction, on the inside of this literal whirlwind of destruction, there were reports of otherworldly glimpses of angelic-like hope. Wow. I wrote this about a week ago. This is good, guys. (laughs) For some that were lucky enough to survive. These ethereal beings have now been dubbed as the butterfly people of Joplin. Whoa. 
So I was watching one of my shows, uh-huh. surprise, and it said something about the butterfly people, and I'm like, oh, it's just Mothman. It's not. It's actually a beautiful story. So the reports of the butterfly people weren't just one account, but several people and children reported seeing them. Now, when I was watching, yep, you guessed it, the Travel Channel show that included this story, I just assumed... I'm repeating myself. I got ahead of myself. I just assumed it was Mothman showing up to warn of death and destruction, which he is known for doing. Oh, At least in Chicago. When Mothman shows up in Chicago, something bad happens in Chicago. Um, but nope, this is so much better and so much more beautiful. No offense, Mr. Mothman. I'm sure you're quite handsome. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tornado unleashed tales of death and surprising survival from a teenager sucked from an SUV, a toddler plucked from his mother's arms, houses that exploded as families huddled in bathtubs and closets for months. Just about any place people gathered, the stories were told and recounted, including stories about the butterfly people. This firsthand story, the firsthand stories are amazing. Mostly children are the ones that have been lucky enough to see these creatures. However, it kind of makes sense as children are more open-minded to unusual experiences and they're even more likely to see spirits and ghosts. The show I had seen was... uh, they were interviewing uh, a woman who had several children um, and they didn't have a basement. So they all kind of huddled in an interior closet in the house during the tornado. They did everything they were supposed to do. The mother of the story explained the terror her and the children endured. They literally heard their house being ripped apart Uh. all around them. At one point, even the roof was ripped off the house and they all just huddled and prayed. I mean, what are you going to do at that point? I guess this is kind of terrifying. <laughs> um, it, honestly, that is a terrifying so scary. So, scenario so scary. for me. So after the winds died down and the family thought it was safe to exit the closet, they had survived, everything was wonderful, they opened the door and noticed the rest of the house is completely gone. The only thing left standing is the walls around this tiny closet. Ugh. Um, as the mother broke down and began thanking God as one would, um, one of her children walked up to her to comfort her and told her exactly why they all survived. The story goes a little something like this. As the devastation was going down and right after the roof was torn off the home, this child watched it all blow away. Then what he saw became a familiar story told by many. The child saw a butterfly, a huge person-sized butterfly with rainbow-colored wings and the body of a human. So I'm like picturing like a, a life-size fairy, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, and it, it huddled over this hole in the ceiling and protected them, is what this what? child said. I know, it kind of gives me goosebumps. So it's pretty comforting. Yeah. At least I think so. This life-size fla- fairy just kind of protecting this large family from death and destruction. Another story I found online was just as sweet and very similar. A mother and her four-year-old daughter fled their vehicle when they saw the twister headed their way. Running frantically for a house in the distance, they didn't make it by the time the tornado actually hit them. The mother covers her child to protect her, as at this point, it's it's all she had. It's right. all she could do. Um and the mother watches the car hurtle toward them. And, yeah. uh, this is scary. <laughs> and then she braces for impact. 
the tornado passes and they're totally fine. Not even a scratch. The mother breaks down. The three-year-old baby touches her mother's face and says, we're okay, mama. Weren't they pretty? I just got goosebumps. <laughs> of course, the mom's confused, trying to keep it together for her daughter and asks her what was pretty. The baby girl responds, the butterfly people. Did you see them? I'm literally covered in goosebumps Whoa, right now. I've never heard of this. Me neither. It's kind of beautiful. I'm not crying. <laughs> You're crying. <laughs> Even months after the tornado, there are still stories of this kind of supernatural event happening-ish. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch recounts this teenager's story. Emily Huddleston was caught in the tornado. She was 14 and a cheerleader. She has a long scar on her left leg from that night in May. Her family was driving home from her brother's high school graduation. The tornado caught up with them as they neared their house. The family SUV was tossed in the air. It crashed to the ground two blocks away. No one was seriously hurt except Emily. A chunk of debris was actually lodged in her thigh. She took weeks to recuperate, moving from wheelchair to walker to, to, walk to finally actually walking on her own again. About two months after the tornado, Emily stood in her backyard. It was summer. Her house was gone. The trees were gone, and a butterfly landed on her arm. It was a black and orange monarch. Other butterflies landed on her, too, and it kept happening the entire summer. She said, there'll be some, this is a quote, there'll be some that I just can't get to leave me alone, Emily said. <laughs> she didn't think anything of it, but then she heard the stories of the butterfly people, and it all made sense. She says, I look at them as my angels. I really do. So that's it. That's the story of the butterfly people. There's another story. It's, it wasn't all children. One nurse, um, she was helping with the devastation, and she saw, it's on a timer, the light just went off in the bathroom, <laughs> um, and she thought she saw an angel. So, I mean, I'm going to go with the kids' version of butterfly people just because there's so many of them. I mean, as adults, I think we try to turn it into something that makes sense in our heads, if that makes any sense. Well, and that's the crazy thing, I think, is that like these kids are describing the same thing because kids' minds are so vulnerable yeah and so they they don't think to say oh that's an angel oh that's it they just describe what they see exactly exactly crazy and so beautiful my story is so different oh good wait i was hoping i was hoping yours would be a little bit on the creepier side or you know it's <laughs> one word for it i've got angels whatever the town of joplin has since paid homage to the butterfly people that seem to have protected so many during what would end up to be the most tragic event in the lives of over 50,000 people in Joplin. To help the residents of Joplin heal, connect, and process their stories of trauma, the city turned it turned to a different resource, art. So the butterfly stories became a powerful image for the community as they came together to recover from the storm. From painted murals to public sculptures to community children's art projects, the butterfly theme is now present everywhere. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Actually, so when we were on our way, we drove out to Tulsa for a con, mm -hmm. and we actually stopped in Joplin. Oh, this did was you? two years ago. Um, and it was crazy because we got right off the interstate just to like grab lunch or something, mm -hmm. and everything just looked so new. Oh, like all the restaurants, course, everything, yeah. right? And then it, like, it clicked to all of us. We were like, "Whoa, yeah!" Like, of course, it's all new. Yeah, it's crazy. 
So it's not the creepy story some of you listeners may have been looking for, but sometimes we all need a little light in the darkness, right? I think so. I don't know. It's It was beautiful. And I'm having a hard time finding stories that like every other podcast isn't doing. You know what I'm right. saying? I know. <laughs> well, or I'll like find something and there's just not enough material to support it or That's like to even exactly. like tell a story about. It'll be like this single paragraph, you know, account. And you're like, okay, this sounds like promising. Where's the Where's rest the of the rest? story? And then you spend 30 minutes Googling and searching everything and then just, to, you know. Exactly. Well, I'm trying really hard right now because the week I did the Donnie Decker story, The Rain Man, Ghosts and Hose, which is a friend of mine's paranormal podcast, did it the same week as well. So now I'm completely fucking stressed <laughs> out about it. I messaged her. I'm like, well, we kind of knew this was going to happen. Theirs goes up on Wednesday and ours goes up on uh, Friday. I said, just so you know, I, I recorded this yesterday and it's so... It, it is what it is. Okay, so mine is very different. We tend um, to do that lately. Right. You're more the lines of angels. <laughs> I'm closer to demons. <laughs> Sweet! So since the beginning of recorded history and likely beyond, one recurring tradition that spans across continents, cultures, and religions is that of spiritual possession and exorcism. Although details may vary, it seems there is a universal, subconscious, almost primal part of us that just finds boundaries of distance, language, all that, which draws to the notion that powerful spirits or other entities from wherever they're from mm-hmm. have the ability to climb inside of us and inhabit our vessel. I don't know about all that. Exactly. <laughs> Perhaps the origin of this persists. Uh, belief is just our common nature to wish to come to an understanding of what drives some people to evil acts just to make um, sense of the sometimes senseless violence, which we know so many people are capable of. Yes. Or is it the persuasive universal belief uh, be indicative of something truly bizarre going on past the boundaries of our like nationalities, beliefs and all that stuff? I think it's mental illness, but that's all I have to say on the matter. Whatever the case may be. <laughs> Case of possession by entities unknown offer fascinating glimpses into madness, the darkness of man, and the possibility of ominous forces that wish to do us wish to do us harm. Oh, look at your fancy writing. I know. I was in some sort of mood. <laughs> Something like this happened in 1974, which a peaceful family man was either overcome by inner demons or literal ones and went on to commit a barbaric murder that would shock the nation. Hmm. So in the quiet town of Osset near West Yorkshire, England, wouldn't strike most as a place where uh, sensational, I feel like that's a terrible word. I shouldn't use that word. Bloody murder um, and talk of exorcism would erupt. Yet here it is a sleeping town of 17,000 people where the sinister story starts. So like I said, in 1974, 31 year old Michael Taylor his wife, Christine, their five children, and their poodle called Osset home. So their family was considered mostly a cheerful and happy one by most of their neighbors, with Michael described as a generally kind, mild-mannered, and loving father and husband, although he was sometimes prone to minor little spouts of depression due to a severe back injury that left him with chronic pain and an inability to find long-term employment. I'm just saying... It's mental illness. 
Go ahead. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no indication that anything was unusual in the Taylor household. And neighbors would later report that the sound of laughter and joy coming from the home was actually quite common. Mm-hmm. So just very normal, happy family. Although Asset had a population that was highly religious with most regularly attending church, the Taylors had never been particularly devout in going or anything. Okay. They mostly skipped church services held where, like, near where they lived. Um, no one really knows whether it was just like a lack of interest in religion that prompted it. Well, they are raising five children. Exactly. But one of their close friends decided to introduce them to a church group called the Christian Fellowship Group, which was led by a 21-year-old female, Mary Robinson. Um, the previously non-religious Michael began to attend these meetings regularly. Because of the 21-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> so he became acquainted with their teachings and quickly fell under the spell of the charismatic preacher, Robinson. Uh, the, tw- the 21-year-old. In fact... It might be psychic. It soon became clear that Michael had become rather enamored with the young woman and began spending an inappropriate amount of time with her, attending more and more meetings and gatherings of the group and even joining Robinson's Robinson's in congregations where they would use, quote, the power of God to exercise people of their sins and speak in tongues. So can we just dick face Michael here? We're getting there. Okay. As well as engage in private rituals in which both Michael and Robinson would stay up all night making the sign of the cross at each other in order to ward off what they believed was the evil power of the full moon. That is the worst foreplay ever. (laughs) (laughs) On top of this, Michael's attitude at home began to change as well. Well, of course it did. (laughs) He was more irritable, argumentative, and just nasty towards his family, with whom he was spending less and less time with. This was totally unlike him, and it was assumed that the church group was somehow exerting a negative influence on him. It got to the point where Michael's increasingly bizarre beliefs, uncharacteristic, erratic behavior, bad attitude, and obsession with Robinson became quite obvious to those around him. No shit. Yeah. Most notably, his wife, Christine. Duh. During one congregation, Christine suddenly decided to confront Michael about the relationship with the preacher. she And accused him of being unfaithful. Literally in the middle. Oh, my God. I wish I could have been there for that. Couldn't have been at the house. I was only four years old, but it still would have been entertaining as fuck. Does anyone have any prayer requests? My cheating husband? Yes. Dick face Michael over there. It was at this point where his behavior would take a turn for the worse. So Michael is reported to have felt an evil influence cast a shadow over him. Mm-hmm. And then, compelled by this force, turned his inexplicable sudden fury on Robinson. Oh, his his twenty one year old lashing out at her verbally and physically to the point that several other churchgoers had to physically restrain him before he seriously hurt someone. Was this the same night as his wife called him? This out? This was at that church service. Oh fuck! Robinson herself would later testify what happened, and this is an actual quote. She said, I suddenly glanced at Michael and his whole figures changed. He looked almost bestial, bestial, best. I think bestial. I don't know. Bestial. I'm just making shit up. He looked almost that. (laughs) A synonym is foul or inhuman. He kept looking at me and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started. Because he didn't know what the fuck to do. He was just called out in a church service. 
<laughs> he Sorry. goes with the I'm possessed card. <laughs> I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Michael also screamed at me in tongues. Of course. This he is did. like a bad like SNL skit. It sounds like a bad porno. <laughs> I was on the verge of death and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus would save me and I just started saying it over and over again, Jesus. When what you just heard on my microphone was a really hard eye roll. Go ahead. <laughs> when Christine heard me calling the name of Jesus, she started saying it too. And I believe firmly that it was only by calling on his name that I was not killed. End quote. So Michael would claim later to have no memory of the incident. Of course. Despite this frightening, violent outburst, the following day, Michael received full forgiveness from, from Robinson and a church absolution for what had happened. However, no one would really ever forget, obviously, what happened of because, course. like, how can you just be sitting in the middle of church and then... Boy, I wish they had, like, rain cameras back then. I just want to hear the arguing in tongues. In tongues. It's like, do you know what they're saying? So it became apparent that his deteriorating, you know, out-of-character behavior showed no signs of changing and that his sanity was just, you know, drifting away. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he got worse as time went on, alerting several local ministers to the realization that he might be under the influence of demonic forces. The local vicar came to the conclusion that an exorcism should be performed on Mike, on Michael, and two ministers by the names of Father Peter Vincent and Reverend Raymond Smith were brought in to carry it out. The date and time for the exorcism was set for midnight on the 5th of October, 1974, at St. Thames Church in nearby Barnsley. And on that night, the two ministers began a ritual which would prove to be a harrowing affair, that would last throughout the night as well into the morning. Michael's crazy. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> that know That should words. be the name of the episode. <laughs> I can't. So as soon as the exorcism began, Michael went into an uncontrollable, went into uncontrollable convulsions and fits and bouts of scratching, spitting, biting, which required that he be forcefully tied to the floor. This isn't even mental illness. This is cry for attention. I don't know what to do because I've been fucking caught. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm not angry. Over the next eight hours, Michael was subjected to having crucifixes shoved into his mouth, <laughs> being doused with holy I didn't water, think you were say mouth. and being forced to confess his sins, all the while growling and snapping at anyone who came near him. The priest in charge of the exorcism claimed that it was, um, it was said that 40 demons inhabited Michael's body, including those representative of incest, bestiality, blasphemy, um, lewdness, heresy. Adultery. Yeah, just a bunch <laughs> of shit. So these alleged demons did not go easily, each one having to be reportedly dragged out, kicking and screaming. And by 8 a.m. on October 6th, the priests carrying out the exorcism were exhausted and could no longer continue. Of course. It was decided that the exorcism would have to be finished at a later time. <laughs> we have to take a recess. Although... <laughs> kidding me right now this is so, this is all we true. need a break demons um if you guys could just kind of hold things where they're at right now right. we'll reconvene we, just, we need to hydrate 48 hours <laughs> god so the priest claimed that three demons those of insanity anger and murder were still stubbornly stubbornly digging in their digging their claws into michael and had not yet been successful had not yet been su successfully removed wow that sentence got the best of me <laughs> In you nailed it. Right. In a chilling detail, which would later prove to be um, prophetic, 
one witness to the terrifying exorcism, a minister's wife named Margaret Smith, claimed that she had received a warning in her mind. She believed to be from God. So she's sitting here watching this exorcism and God's because just talking to her. Apparently, they were admitted a guest pass. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's like a whole in studio audience. Yeah. <laughs> and said that the demon of murder was going to escape and kill Christine. So she was like trying to tell the Christine's priest. Christine's the wife, right? Yes. Okay. So she was sitting here trying to tell the priest to continue the exorcism. But instead, they told Michael and Christine to go home and rest and prepare for the next round, which is to be performed the following day. Or death, whatever. <laughs> Whether there were really demons still inside of Michael or not, um, what would follow was nothing short of pure evil and stark insanity. At 10 a.m. the same day, a mere two hours after they had been sent home, Michael brutally attacked and killed his wife Christine in their home in an incredibly ferocious manner, strangling her to death with his bare hands, gouging out her eyes, oh tearing out her tongue, God. and ripping most of her face off in a ghastly display of violence. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. It's crazy. When he was finished with this, he then grabbed the family dog and slaughtered it as well, tearing it Not from the puppy! The poodle. Tearing it limb to limb. Uh, Michael must have made for a grim sight as he left his home, obviously. He wanders out into the street naked, because what else do you do when you're possessed? <laughs> of just course. get naked. Yeah. Covered in blood. And body just literally blood everywhere. Stumbling aimlessly and shouting, In the blood of Satan. Over and over again. Of course, because it's his fucking scapegoat at this point. This was the state in which a passing patrol car found him and soon after um, would find the, the mutilated bodies of Christine and their dog sprawled out and pools of blood all over the house. Where are the children? Yeah. Okay. So such a sensationally bloody, bloody crime, along with its bizarre background of demon infestation exorcism, took normally quiet... The quiet, peaceful town by storm, creating a media frenzy oh, and sure. drawing an intense amount of interest to what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so weird, brutal, and haunting was the crime and the events leading up to it that the trial opened with the prosecution, the guy, telling <laughs> yeah. the jury um, that what they were about to witness was evidence that will, quote, make it difficult to believe you are not back in the Middle Ages, which is true. I mean, yeah. The whole, like, gouging of the eyes and ripping off the face. like Ridiculous. Chill, Michael. Yeah. So Michael would state during his testimony that he had no recollection of the actual killing and that he had been under the control of evil super, supernatural forces and that he had suspected that his wife had also been possessed by demons. During the proceedings, it was pointed out that the Christian fellowship group had been more like a cult influencing Michael with potent mind control. This is the prosecution's... Yes. No, not the defense is... Right. Okay. And at one point, the group was described as neurotics feeding neurosis to a neurotic. Jeez. Right. Blame was also directly leveled at the exorcism itself, with prosecution claiming that the ritual had fed off the warped ideals, beliefs, and religious, you know, hoopla that he had picked up from the group. The negative influence they'd had on him and taken its toll on an already wary, or wary sleep-deprived, mentally disturbed man. And it pushed him just over the edge to madness. Okay. Right. So one of the barristers made a statement during the trial illustrating this general feeling of the church's responsibility 
in a horrific crime, and this is another quote. He said, I am aware that it is generally regarded as improper for an advocate to express any personal feeling or opinion about the case which he is engaged. I'm afraid I find it quite impossible to observe such constraints in this case. Let those who truly are responsible for the killing stand up. We submit that Taylor is a mere cipher. The real guilt lies elsewhere. Religion is key. Those who have been referred to in evidence and those clerics, clerics in particular, should be with him in spirit now in this building and each day he is incarcerated. But not least on the day he must endure the bitter union with his five motherless children. Okay, so the kids are fine. Kids are fine. Oh, okay. Shoo! Get this. Sorry, I'm almost done. In the end, Michael... Because I got a lot to say. I'm okay. going I'm to I'm let you finish, Taylor. <laughs> In the end, Michael was found not guilty by reason of... Ins- Fucking no! Yeah, by reason of insanity and was deemed to be both clinically and legally insane after he was sent to the Broadmoor Secure Hospital for the Criminally Insane. He would remain there for two years, followed by another two-year sentence at the Bradford Royal Infirmary before being released back into the world. The aftermath of the bizarre um, trial brought it with a great amount of you know, public outcry over the use of exorcisms within the church. And this became the last recorded exorcism to be carried out by the, Angelic, by the Anglican Church. Um, even so, throughout the trial in the ensuing years, the chief priest who had been in charge of the exorcism continued to admittedly insist that Michael had indeed been inhabited by demons and that it had been an authentic case of a true demonic possession. He would say of the, mis- of the perceived misplaced blame aimed at him and the church during the trial, this is the priest's quote, he said, I'm quite convinced God would bring good out of, out of this in his own way, however tragic it was at the time. If the, if the psychiatrist said the crime would not have been committed but for the exorcism, that seems a rather strange thing to say. People will draw their own conclusions. So after his trial and sentence, Michael would continue to display odd behaviors as well as fall into deep depression and make a total of four suicide attempts over I the years. I wish it fucking worked. So in July of 2005, Michael Taylor, still best known for his alleged demonic possession of murder, would enter the news again when he was arrested for sexually harassing an underage girl. Oh, Jesus Christ. During this trial, his previous charges were deemed to have no bearing on the current case. He showed a low to medium risk of reoffending. And thus, and and this plus his lack of any previous convictions of sexually related crimes led to a light sentence of a three-year stint of community service. Yes, what I know. Um, I'm so pissed off right now. I know. So, like, what was it that led him to, you know, kill his wife? Was it him being caught and then already being like a little loony? So he's caught. He freaks out. Goes through this eight-hour thing of two priests fucking lootly pushing an already loony, loony man even more loony. So now he has this in his head that he thinks I have a demon of murder in me. No, he thinks, oh, I have a fucking scapegoat now. Yeah, is the way I see it. But it's crazy. Um, <sighs> I've never so, sighed so much during any of your stories. Yeah, but it, it, yeah, that's. That was so good. Plus, it's got the true crime, which I fucking right. love. But, and then the whole demonic. And, and, and I, it's not always mental illness. I will, I will take that back. I think nine times out of ten. No, I'd say 
it's mental illness or need for attention, or right. in this case, a way to get away with fucking murder. Right. Literally. Literally, he, he did. Oh, I'm so pissed off at this right. man right now. Is it's, he still alive? I'm actually not sure. Um, I well, mean, I'm sure he's ancient if he is. I mean, but not really. It was 1974. Yeah. So I mean, I'm I mean, ancient and I was four in 1974. So if he was a grown-ass adult, that makes him... I guess he's probably around my parents' age. Um, let's... Oh, here's his... Oh, God, I just let the internet know how old I am. Fuck. <laughs> um, it's so crazy, though. And again, it's one that I... But it's not really like... Like, it's not like they're going to make a movie out of this one. You know, I want a movie about it. I want at least a fucking forensic files about it. True. Um, Murder comes to town. Something like that. Yeah, I don't... It says he was born 1944... But I don't see anything about him. Dying. Yeah, so my mom was born. I'm not going to say it out loud because I know she listens. So yeah, he's. I'm sure he's still out there with grandchildren and maybe even. You want to see what he looks like? I do. I'll show you. It's probably not what you think. Oh shit! He looks like some guy you'd see at the fucking grocery store. Literally, not at all what you would think. I literally think that. He lost his shit when his wife called him out. This is my my scenario, watching all the murder shows that I watch. He's a, fu- a fucking nice, narcissistic psych- sociopath. And he saw this brand new church shit as a way out. True. And and he just ran with it. Well, I mean, and the whole like... Kudos to him for staying in character for so long. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, Good thing that his... The five daughters weren't at the house. Thank God. Literally, he would have killed all of them. Yeah. And the damn poodle. For sure. And the puppy. The poor poodle. Poor Christine. Poor Christine. She did not deserve that. No. Um, no, but what I think is crazy is that it very well could be that this church group ministry, if you will, had been just like feeding almost cult-ish vibes you know could, could i'm be. not saying that's what led him to do it right but like, right and i i won't argue that i think he stayed at the church for this young girl mm-hmm. and we have to remember down. he was already a little bit like in uh, the depressed state and yeah, things like a loose that cannon. right 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 and i think he just saw an opportunity to get what he wanted and did. Here's the thing that really pisses me off, though. That they didn't have camera phones during the the speaking in tongues well, argument? No, that they paused the fucking exorcism and <laughs> sent him home. With her. With her. They should it's have. their fucking Why fault. did they untie him from the floor? Yeah, if they had to fucking tie him up to. <laughs> Christine, you know, just take care of him tonight. We're going to resume this tomorrow. Are you fucking kidding me right now? I would now? say no. <sighs> I'm livid. I'm so pissed off right now. I don't know if it's the wine Damn you, or the jet lag or whatever. Fuck, 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 dick face Michael. Yeah. the And the reason that I decided to do that story, because he got away with it. That blows my mind. That jury, full of idiots. <laughs> Literally. And, and they kept throwing the God angle out there. But the here's God, the thing. It was... In the mid seven, it wasn't like in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, and it wasn't. It was before the whole satanic panic thing of the eighties. I don't know. It's 
That story's insane. Yeah. It blew my mind. That's my so, mind blown up. Is it demons or? No, it's absolutely not demons. I don't think it it's is a either. genius defense team and a a guy who really stuck to his character. It's true. The so, whole naked, covered in blood in the street. Yeah. Oh, I can <laughs> see it. And it was probably terrible overacting, but the neighbors just bought it. Oh. Right. You know, because they're like, what the fuck is going on out here right. in the street? In our, in our calm little perfect yeah. quaint English town. Exactly, exactly. And I I have so much to say, but I don't <laughs> want to offend anybody, anybody out there. But fuck's sake, people, open your fucking eyes. Crazy. I don't know. Um, I did forget to mention... There's no segue for this because I'm no, still pissed okay. off and I will continue to be. Um, <laughs> we had a weird thing go on at the house. Oh. Um, really weird. I slept through it, of course, because I sleep with earplugs <laughs> because my husband snores. Um, but a couple nights ago, Chris wakes up in the middle of the night. I'm like, what the fuck is he getting up for? And I'm tossing and turning. And he comes back to bed and, you know, I'm like, <sighs> you know, because I'm so annoyed. Come to find out his in our garage... His new car, his car alarm was just going off for no reason. No reason whatsoever. What? So we went to check the rain cams. Guess who turned off the rain cams? Christopher. You guys don't, yeah. Because he when was out there home, messing yeah. in the garage. Usually it's on, but he was working on that car. So he turned it off while he was messing around so in the garage. So it wasn't all the notifications, right? Yeah. So we've since turned the rain cam back on in the garage and nothing Absolutely no reason for that car alarm to have gone off. There was nothing that fell in the garage anywhere or anything. Well, does his, does his car, does it have like the proximity alarm where like if something bumps it hard enough, the alarm will go off or is it just like locks and normal like alarm stuff? I think it's just a, 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 the regular lock thing. So weird. So weird. Even so my car's in that garage. I know. And, and nothing happened. So... I thought you'd find that interesting. It's very interesting. So um, I do have all the ring cams on right As now. As you should. Since I'm not home. Um, so I always have my ring camera on. And it's like I've been wanting something to happen so Same. bad. And it's like, so the house that we live in is super, super, super old. Mm-hmm. Like older than we even originally thought it was. Oh, is it? Yeah. Because the little old lady down the road we were walking the dogs once and she was like, we started talking and then she was thrilled <laughs> as can about be talking to strangers. But, um, and have we talked about this on the show yet? Uh-uh. So our house, we live basically downtown Indianapolis. So the area that we live in is called Bates Hendricks and there is just houses. Feel free houses to stalk him now that he's yeah, told right. you where he lives. But it's just houses and houses and houses. Um, but the woman, she was like, did you just move into that house? We're like, yes. She goes, did you know that when all of this was farmland, that was the original farmhouse? <gasps> oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. And she goes, so there's a road that essentially shoots like right down to our house. And that's Weghurst, Weghurst Lane. It was the Weghurst family that lived in that house. Oh and that's gosh. why that road is called that. That's but amazing. now, I mean, I mean, you've been by the house there yeah a million houses it's a bazillion downtown indianapolis yeah. um but she told us that and after that i was like oh my gosh and she does a lot of gardening and she finds indian heads or uh, arrowheads <gasps> oh, everywhere wow. that just behind where our house is is like an indian burial ground 
Who knew? What? Like there's and you don't all have the a stuff. Haunting? Nothing. And this house is so just like They must have brought the monks in. Only to clear raccoons. It. <laughs> Literally just raccoons. <laughs> um but yeah, it's really, really cool. And that's why after I I got those ring cams, I was like, surely we'll get something. Some mist or something. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Same. Again, just yeah. raccoons. Well. And cats recently. All in the cats. Your house? No, in the backyard. Oh, okay. <laughs> just like a random as cat as walking I am. through. <laughs> so we got an email. Yay, listener stories. And and I, I say we got an email like it's the only one. We get a lot of emails and it's great. And we swear that we will get to them. And if not, we'll just do it in an autosode. If you don't know what an autosode is, check back a few episodes and check it out. Um, but this one stood out to me, obviously, because the subject was UFO sighting. It says, hi, Kitsy and Clayton. I wasn't too sure I would be eligible for this, but in 1988, I was walking my dog. It was twilight. Typical summer for my neighborhood and kind of quiet. Passing by our park, I saw two kids hanging out on the swings, turned the corner, and headed down a wooded cul-de-sac area when all of a sudden, I heard screaming coming from the park. What? Yeah, turn and run. Just Yeah, you know. just don't even look. Run. Just as I was about That's to go and see what was happening, I looked up and saw what can only be described as a huge diamond-shaped object with a series of bright lights surrounding it. <gasps> what? It looked like it was hanging in the sky. No sound. I didn't know what to do and thought I was having a delusion. Well. Same. But I could only hear the commotion at the park. My dog was as still as me. His hair was standing up on his back and he was growling very low. I looked down at him and when I turned the object, it just vanished. Nothing was reported in the newspaper. I, I talked with the kids at the park and they saw it too. I didn't know how to contact MUFON back then and report it. And I sure wasn't going to call our local law enforcement. Well, yeah. yeah. They would think you're crazy. <laughs> to this day, I don't know if I saw something not of this world or a covert government project. Also likely. Yeah, but that it's that whole no sound thing that gets me this, every The completely time. silent. Yeah. It's the so hovering weird. and no sound. Because even like the the, Uf, or the UFOs, even the, the government planes... Like the stealth planes, if they're close enough to you, you will hear them. Right. And it, sometimes it's it's after the fact. Right. But you hear them. But you hear them. And if it's something like diamond with bright lights, I don't think they're trying to be subtle. Hovering. Yeah. That's the thing. Most of the stealth things are like black at night. And they're, they're not going to be like flashing right lights. Yeah. And that's a good one. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, Susan. Thank you so much. She's been a huge supporter of Oddity Files. Yes. We adore her. One of our MVPs. I had actually texted you something in Otherworldly the other day. Did you see that? Um, what was the article? It's the U.S. Army wants to know what they're seeing in the skies. Yes, I did read that. And because they're worried. So they, the military uh, that- has... Admitted that they are seeing UFOs in the skies. Yeah, that like multiple pilots and these people are reporting the same sort of thing to the point that they're like, okay, what's going on? And they're scared. Yeah. They're like, we need to know what these things are and whether we should defend ourselves or what. That's pretty much all the article said. Right. But slightly terrifying. Very terrifying. And super exciting. Update. Thanks, DJ Jimmy. Thank you, DJ. M-U-F-O-N, MUFON, is Mutual UFO Network. It's like this little network. Oh, it's like a Reddit for UFO sightings. You can just go Literally. in and be like, I saw a UFO in Indianapolis. Oh, there you go. We might want to look into them, see if there's any more sightings that we don't know about. Hmm. Or have them call in. Oh, 
have like a, a spokesperson from MUFON. It's like probably the guy from the place in New Mexico. What was his name? GJ Jimmy, what was his name? Who? Remember the guy who saw all the, the, the aliens? Oh. The, cra- <laughs> the guy, the underground guy? The guy, the underground guy. We shouldn't drink and podcast anymore. Who? The guy who the aliens underground shot him at that one place. Remember in they Nevada? shot him? Was it New Mexico or Nevada? One of those states. Level seven. Re- like underground. He got shot. Didn't he like lose a finger or something? Oh. And I'm like, are there pictures of this guy online? Delcy. Yes. Del-C what was his Air name? Philip Schneider. Good old Philip. Damn, you're good, Jim. Wah, wah. Jim. Jimmy. We can't go that far. I can't. I hate <laughs> when I do that. Um, maybe I almost said maybe Jim. <laughs> maybe Mr. Schneider's a member of MUFON. Oh, legit. He's he just probably kinda, the spokesperson. He he probably started the motherfucker. On that note, you're you've just we haven't even said we this. We didn't is, even say the name of the podcast. Let's, let's end it with that. Where does the new cool you've been listening to Oddity Files the, the pod- podcast? I'm Kitsy Duncan. And I'm Clayton Abbott, and we're in Seattle. And thanks for listening, guys. See ya. Bye.